0: Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash the Thanks everyone, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick, and I am your host, and I am joined by my co-host i'm nolan nolan how are you today
1: good uh at least it quit snowing it's just rain and miserable now so
0: <laughs> you know I, i'll take the rain over the snow it sounds like the southern part of the state got hit pretty hard with snow this week yeah it's been a weird april yeah well they can keep the snow i'll take the rain i'm okay with that what's new in the world of video games or, or gaming in general anything exciting for you
1: uh, I really haven't been, uh, you know, with everything going on. It's nice to get a chance to pick up some of these games on sale. Uh, some of them are free through, you know, RPG type things, but there's a lot of discounts. And I spent a lot of time on Steam last night, just cycling through some older games I haven't sat down and played. Um, working on Pathfinder Kingmaker, um, and that's been kind of fun with little Pathfinder New Edition. Got excited about their Kickstarter, seeing that it destroyed everything they wanted to get done so
0: that really did, well. did
1: um but yeah other than that little wow reading and playing a little more final fantasy 7 and just kind of waiting until it's safe to go outside again
0: yeah yeah i hear you i actually loaded up a game that i haven't played in quite a while that being hearthstone which i used to play pretty regularly and decided to for whatever reason take a break from it and i've been playing it quite a bit within the last two days
1: is it do you feel better is it just new enough now or different enough that you don't don't, you (laughs) don't see the same builds over and over
0: i still see dragon priest i still see reno locks i still see i mean it's 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 funny because I, i i logged into it today thinking okay we're gonna we're gonna just or not today. Sorry, yesterday I was like we're just gonna try it out. There's a new class, Demon Hunter, and I like Demon Hunter when I played WoW, so I thought this will be fun. So I played through the story of of Illidan's fall, which was kind of cool, and then got the deck. A friend of mine had reached legend status with his his Demon Hunter deck, so I just went ahead and did all i needed to to craft the cards to build that deck and surprised that i was able to well this is i I should note this is the first time i've actually spent money on hearthstone packs because i needed the crafting materials to finish the deck but right i i did that and built the deck and started playing and you know i i know how to play card games i'm not i'm not an idiot I was getting my ass just handed to me right and left and I was just like what the fuck and <laughs> it's the same decks. Yeah, it's the Dragon Priest, it's the Reno locks and nothing makes you feel worse than having your warlock opponent down to two or three life and suddenly they play Reno and all of a sudden they're back at full life and you're sitting there with two cards in hand going fuck you. <laughs>
1: Well, that's uh man. That sounds like what it's like to play an ad nauseum player. I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> that. Just must be horrible for you.
0: What are you saying? This is a little bit of payback.
1: Uh, karma's a bitch.
0: <laughs> that could very possibly be the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna keep giving it a try. I'd imagine I just need to wrap my head around the deck a little bit more, and we'll we'll see what happens. But it's been a struggle, it's a so. gateway
1: drug to playing more Diablo. Just be prepared.
0: <laughs> it could be especially with the, what is it double treasure goblins or goblins right now in diablo
1: yeah that makes it worthwhile
0: it kind of it's you know they're just i really like to come around a corner and see just a a flock of treasure goblins and going oh this is gonna be fun yeah who do i call pause the game i'll invite them yeah exactly <laughs> all right so let's get going with the news 307 rpg news we are continuing our giveaway we're going to do this just for a little bit longer head over to our website and click on this episode show notes to find the link you can also do it on last episode show notes and it pops up occasionally on my twitter um the giveaway includes a copy of the Scarred Lands Player's Handbook for Pathfinder, Chicago by Night, which is the print-on-demand version, a set of Kraken dice, and a set of 307 RPG stickers. Uh, keep in mind that Chicago by Night is the V5 edition, so it is the brand new Chicago by Night from Onyx Path. This is an excellent chance to win a great tabletop RPG giveaway that we will package up and mail to you as soon as this giveaway is over. So that should be... Do you enter a lot of giveaways, Nolan? Uh, I
1: do and don't, uh, I, I know like, I like some of the smaller stuff. I do stuff with like streamers. Um, I'm always leery of big companies cause it's I'm afraid that I'm just going to get bombarded with emails and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think it just depends and picks and choose if I want to hear their stuff. That's fair. And that's something we don't do. We don't bombard you
0: with stuff cause well, we're not a big company. We're yeah, just,
1: no, we're not doing it to <laughs> get your email and stuff like that. We're just happy you guys are listening. So.
0: Yep. And this is our way of spreading a little bit of joy in this world because who doesn't like getting free books and dice in the mail? (laughs) Exactly. So that is the news for 307 RPG. Let's kick off over to Dungeons and Dragons, where there was a new Unearthed Arcana release this week. Nolan, tell us all about it.
1: It's a revisit of the psionic options. And kind of reading what it is, for a lot of people, they were just like, well, they have officially have, have killed psionics, which uh, I think what they did was they made some limitations. Um, you know, the fighter kept the, uh, it said the psychic warrior, they called it the Psy Knight. And it allows you to, uh, it gives you some options, what you do with your psychic uh, ability. Uh, before it was just like a protective field and an extra damage die. I think it was like a 1d4 that scaled up to 1d6. And that's kind of how you charged your uh, energy for the day. Well, now they've made it where there's some limitations on that. As far as, you know, your protective field isn't just a reaction all the time. It's equal to your int modifier plus one. They added a force jump, is the best way I can I can say it, a psi powered leap. Uh, so you can get into you can do that equal to a number uh times with your int modifier plus one. The big change that they did was is they gave you a psychic die, I guess is the best way to call it. And so depending on your well, your psionic talent is what they're calling it. So when you make a psionic talent roll if you roll the highest number on your psionic talent die it decreases by one die size after the roll so if you roll a d6 you get a six next time you roll a psionic charge it's a d4 and they're saying this represents you burning through your psionic energy now if you roll a one say on your d4 now it goes back up to a d6 if you roll a D six, get a six. You roll a D four, you get a four. It now becomes unavailable until you finish a long rest. So, kind of one of those. I, I don't know. I can see that one of those things. Again, if you're rolling hot and it's a good day, this is amazing. If it's one of those things, all of a sudden you lose your charge after two times. It kind of takes you out of the thing you built your class around for the whole day. So,
0: so any other updates to that class? Then
1: they kept the uh, they kept the soul knife kind of changed a little bit with it as well with the the soul blade added in the changing the dice size the big thing here and probably the biggest thing is the thing that we complained about they took the psionic away from the wizard and they made it a sorcerer right and so them finally you know I don't you know I like to think that they listen to us personally but we know that's probably not the case but I think there was some good feedback of this isn't something that is uh, it's not something that you learn it's something you're born with and so, seeing that as a psychic subclass is pretty cool. I I like it. Uh, I heard it's not very. I don't know. Again, people really just dislike sorcerer in this edition, and so I think a lot of people were really upset about that by saying that it was it's over, it's done, blah blah blah. But I really like the change on that. I would play a psychic psionic uh, over a psychic wizard personally. So.
0: There is a link in the show notes to that UA if you want to check that out. Other than that, of course, uh, Wizards of the Coast is continuing with their stay-at-home, play-at-home campaign. Uh, more free material is coming out, including more items for the younger gamer or potential gamer in your family there's some coloring pages and things like that just to get you know i'd imagine it it's a good way of kids going oh that's a cool monster dad what's this or mom what's this and it gives the parents a chance to explain what those monsters are and maybe even explain a little bit about the game if they will i know we talked about the adventures with muck last week there are Again, those are uh, uh, options out there for the younger or potential gamers in your family if you want to introduce them to this hobby that we all love so much. So be sure to check those out. Otherwise, Mythic Odyssey of Theros is scheduled to be released on June 2nd. This is uh, a, the second source book for a Magic the Gathering crossover. Uh, you Think about it was the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, which was the first one. So this will be the second one in the whole Magic uh, crossover thing. Now I, I I liked Theros when it was a magic set. I don't know that I would play D D in that world though. What about you? I
1: you know, I think after playing Scarred Lands, um and seeing how well that is, I, I would prefer that. But if I didn't have Scarred Lands, I would be interested in it. I, again, anytime that I think the gods are a little more involved and you see that kind of stuff and and, and Greek mythology, I, I really enjoy um I don't know if I'd want to live there, but uh scarlands has done it really well and i've really enjoyed that so it's hard for me to say that no this would be terrible but i also came into at theros so it was one of my favorite ones
0: that oh, that makes sense i forgot about that yeah you started well came back to the game because you were collecting before that uh, i don't know that you necessarily played though did you
1: yeah no i was they were pretty art cards Gotcha. Gotcha. And that was um, Laura Winn or something like that, but yeah, which was a great setting. Why don't they do that?
0: That'd be a good one.
1: <laughs> R- return to that,
0: please. Yes, please. Let's get on that <laughs> enough with Ravnica or Theros. So other than that, I didn't see too much more for Dungeons and Dragons. Did you see anything else?
1: No, uh, most of the stuff is still kind of the stuff we've talked about. Uh, the, the dice set coming out, uh,
0: Hey, talk about, you know, that was something you and I had a discussion about earlier in the week was dice in Wormwood and as well as this dice set here. Uh, give us your thoughts on this dice set.
1: I was looking at the Sapphire one, and I know they have the Laurel Silver Hand coming out. And I thought the Laurel Silver Hand one was really pretty. Um, and then you see the Sapphire anniversary edition. I was like, wow, that's really pretty, enough to get me to click on it. And then I saw that it was $300, and that was just so <laughs> off-put and weird. Like, you know, at that point, like, you're buying them. Um, y- I don't know I, I don't know why you're buying them at that point point. And, and again if you've got that kind of money in you and it's a collector's edition or it's a it's a it's a great like team gift to your DM or something like that like I get that sort of thing I just would feel weird if somebody got it for me and I'm playing with them I mean I don't yeah. know yeah I,
0: I kind of I, I feel the same I mean this is I mean a really expensive set of dice I would hate to roll them or even use them and scuff them up or or potentially break them
1: yeah, lose them. D four goes on the floor, disappears forever. I mean, that's just that's a that's a value there. That and I don't know. And maybe I'm just being kind of a hypocrite. But like, I, I guess I bought the from the vaults. You know, I got a couple of them that I was really excited about. And then I felt weird like opening the box. And then I felt weird about adding that card to my collection or something like that. And I was like, okay, don't do that again.
0: Yeah. See, I didn't. There was a couple of the from the vaults that I saved and didn't open. uh For the most part, though, I was like, yeah, I'm using these. Cause... Yeah.
1: I, like I said, I, I think I did too. It just, it just felt, like I said, I just felt weird doing it, which was weird. Like, I just don't ever want to be that way. Like, I don't know. I've got more expensive cards in different sets, you know? Um, but it was sure. just one of those things of, it felt weird, uh, unboxing the, uh, the
0: set or whatever.
1: And, and that's kind of how I felt about this one here. Like I would just feel weird playing it.
0: We were talking a little bit about the Wormwood set of dice that your wife had told you about. What was that again?
1: Well, it looked like they had a Kickstarter where they were coming out with resin, handcrafted gemstones, glass, and wood. And we thought, uh, her and I both thought, the, the wooden one sounded pretty cool just from an a option of, you know, we've played with metal ones, we've played with giant ones, and, and we've recorded. And when you hear the giant... thunder crack someone a gunshot in the background uh you realize that maybe that wasn't the best idea right Um, but when i was looking at their kickstarter they have high variance dice which i thought was kind of interesting and and the the design behind that there is the average roll on a d6 is 3.5 and if you roll a typical d6 you have numbers one two three four five six gives you 3.5 well on the high variance d6 uh it's weighted so that your rolls are more extreme so on an average roll set you'll get a one a one a three a four a six and a six the average roll still is 3.5 however your chances for great success or massive failures have just doubled and i can i don't know how i feel about that like i think that would be neat but it'd be one of those things of like hey we're playing a high variance campaign everybody i've got some dice for you or something like that when they start adding those kind of things into the game it's kind of i don't know uh you know i at, for a d20 when it's 15, 16 17 18 18 19 19 20, 20 twenty 20 you know i mean you're you're a hot and cold kind of i don't know it was interesting it's neat that they're doing it i guess i think it can make for some fun especially when it comes to damage stuff i don't know about my d20s or my uh <laughs> dice percentages but
0: you don't want failures on your d20s
1: well i just uh, yeah I, I think that's just one of those again you can have a really good party go down by some bad rolls and, and maybe that's the fun and maybe i yeah. take it too serious uh again it would be one of those things if, if the whole table was doing it and you kind of like it's like playing call of duty and taking a shot every time you get shot like you know like you're going to get worse as the game goes on something bad is going to happen and we're all watching it for the car crash you know and and i think if everybody's (laughs) on the same page for what that is you're like oh this is the one yeah no you're up you have advantage let's see if you finally get double ones you know
0: oh my gosh that would be almost comical in you're almost holding your breath every time you check that die, especially if it's in a critical situation, like you're on your last death saving throw and you're using that high variance D20.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think if the whole table was doing it, I think it'd be fun. Be, you know, have some cocktails around it, but if it's your, you know, if it's your Epic campaign and, and it's one of those moments of, you know, (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna wipe and start over. You might hate your dice forever after that. So, um, but again, as usual, very beautiful. Um, I really like the wooden dice. I thought they're really cool. The glass ones are really pretty. Uh, it's fully funded on Kickstarter. Uh, their goal was ten thousand dollars. They're at eight hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars. So they, that does surprise <laughs> me. They'll have them coming. Uh, looks like wave two of this is in December. Uh, wave three is in January. So it looks like they've got it scheduled all the way out till March, uh, depending on when you pledged. So,
0: you know, I did a Kickstarter for Wormwood once, um, uh, Oh, I guess it's been a couple years ago. Now they were, I believe it was called Cthulhu style runes, uh, on a dice, uh, just a, a dice case. And I want to say I did the pledge in September and by December I had the, the Kickstarter package in hand. And nice. It was every bit, you know, I, Seen a lot of uh, Wormwood product on online. Uh, Critical Role uses quite a bit of it, uh, and I always wondered what the the product was like. And then I saw yours because you have that one that's in Elven, and I was blown away by the just the quality. This is without a doubt some of the better quality gaming accessories you're gonna find.
1: Yeah, they do a good job, and I think the big thing is too. Like I don't, I don't feel like they just throw out crap to throw out crap you know i mean they're getting big enough where they could they can make the hideous dice on the world and throw it out there and call it wormwood and they'd probably move some product um i i feel like they put thought into it i feel like it's I like that it's cost effective too, depending on what you want. You know, if you want a nicer set with a higher quality thing, it's like everything in life. You want an expensive frame for your picture, you're going to pay for it, but the quality is there. You're paying for the oak, you're paying for that versus, you know, a canvas wrap. And so you can really find a good quality set of dice at your price point all across the spectrum, whether it's gifts or
0: personal use or whatever. So, Agreed. Agreed. And you cannot go wrong with Wormwood. That's just all there is to it. So... Yeah, you know, I didn't didn't include that in the show notes, but I got to thinking about the discussion you and I had, and I thought, you know, that'd be a good thing to talk about. So thank you for indulging me there. (laughs) No, sounds good. All right, so let's take a walk down the Onyx Path. Um, So interesting stuff with Onyx Path this week was the official release of Dystopia Rising Evolution. Now, neither Nolan or I had heard about Dystopia before, so I was very interested in finding out what this game was. Uh, because, again, we'd never heard of it. So I did some digging. Now, this Dystopia Rising Evolution is a supplement for the tabletop RPG Dystopia Rising. Again, know very little about this game. So I grab, I did go ahead and grab a uh, quick description for Evolution. It says, uh, in Dystopia Rising Evolution, no one knows how long it's been since the world was blasted with nuclear radiation and became infected with the undead. Major cities were all but destroyed. Transit is reduced to animals, wagons, and the occasional iron horse. The survivors of the fall were the first strain of deviation from the human condition and were able to make it through the rapidly spreading epidemic. This is dystopia. The world is broken. Will you pick up the pieces? Make a new world from the remains of the old? So my understanding of Dystopia Rising is that it was... Or is I should say a very popular LARP, live action role playing. If you don't know what that means, that grew into just as popular tabletop RPG. So I did some checking, and if I remember correctly, there's about 18 states that have chapters of Dystopia Rising, because that's what they're called chapters, where they run these these LARPs. And looking at some of the pictures, and looking at some of the you know reading some of the descriptions, it's like mad max meets the walking dead smashed together and who wouldn't want to dress up like that and go play a game
1: yeah i think i like that idea and i like the idea again we see you know we see these zombie movies and stuff like that and they're like uh you know uh the walking dead is notorious for it you know they're you know, Rick Grimes is a sheriff and he wears a sheriff gear and that's, that's his thing. And that's some good plot armor. Um, when we were looking at the LARP things, it's like, this guy's got license plate created like shin guards slash like plate mail. Uh, they've grabbed like stop signs for shields. And it's like, yeah, that looks way more realistic of like you would do just about everything in your power to cover up weak spots that could get bitten or whatever. So.
0: And apparently, there's some benefit, like so if you show up to the game and you already got your armor made and you're like, "Oh, yeah, that's cool." But if you show up to the game and say, "Okay, I'm gonna spend like the first hour of the game crafting my shin guards, well, if I'm not mistaken and I could be way wrong, it looks like you get bonus points to put into your armor because in game, you are taking the time to create that piece of armor. So I thought that was kind of neat. And these are not just like, so when I ran a larp years and years and years ago, it was we started at seven, we ended around. 10 10 30 something like that these start on friday end on sunday and you are in character the entire time they rent out a campground for you to play in and stuff happens the entire time i was kind of talking to my wife about this last night and nolan and i talked about what my wife would say about this kind of stuff and she while she enjoys larping she's not she's not the kind of person who's going to do this marathon larp if you will and when i said well yeah you could be sleeping in your tent and all of a sudden a zombie attack happens and you got to get up and defend yourself she goes fuck that they could just kill me i don't care don't wake me up in the middle of the night right (laughs) which didn't surprise me at all so it definitely takes a a special person to kind of go out and and understand that you are going to live in this world for the entire weekend whether you're sleeping whether you're eating it doesn't matter and it's it's pretty neat. I would say if that's something you're interested in, check out Dystopia Rising LARP. There are free rules for it. If it's something you want to bring to your table, Onyx Path is producing these games. So check out Dystopia Rising Tabletop RPG. Could be interesting. I don't know. Look pretty cool to me, but who knows? <laughs> no,
1: I, and I like anytime you find that kind of stuff, it's, you know, I don't know how you miss it. You know what I mean? Like, not you, but, like, how do yeah. you miss that kind of stuff? Like, you know, for it to be around in that A-team. Never heard anything on it. Happy to see them working on uh, some books for it. And I think that's, you know, maybe something that we could use some more of. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't already sold the hell out of a, a Walking Dead tabletop RPG. Um, and maybe they have, and I just missed it,
0: but... So let's see, moving on. Onyx Path has announced their what their next Kickstarter is going to be. I know they put the Legend Lore Kickstarter on hold, and I don't know when this one's going to launch. It says they're currently building uh, this Kickstarter, and it's going to be for Mage 20th Anniversary Edition, uh, the Technocracy Reloaded which I know the technocracy is incredibly popular within Mage, so I'd imagine this is going to be one of those Kickstarters that funds within the first couple of hours. Again, have no clue when it's scheduled to come out. We just know that this is the next one that they are building. I didn't see anything new on the playtest side of things for Scarredlands. We should be seeing the next part of Vigil's Watch very soon. I think it's the last Wednesday of the month that they release those, so that... Should be coming fairly soon. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I got an email yesterday. It looks like Onyx Path is doing a pay-what-you-want sale on Drive-Thru RPG for the Skardlands Player's Handbook as well as the Wise and Wicked Supplement to Skardlands. Pay-what-you-want means exactly that. You pay what you want. They just trust that you're going to find some value and give them something for it. Uh, even if it's just a couple of bucks, they're fine with that. So, this is a great opportunity for you to go if you need to and pick up those PDFs for whatever you feel like you want to pay for them. So make sure you head over to Drive RPG and check that out. Modifius. Uh, let's see. I received notification for a new pro- for f- a few new products from Modifius. So this is actually probably the most news we've had for Modifius in quite a while. First is Agents of Concordia. This is a new RPG from Stagewood Studios, which sees you traveling between worlds in a fantastic action-mystery-fantasy mashup, which apparently had a hugely successful Kickstarter in 2018. It is currently available for purchase on DriveThruRPG. They also announced the release of Conan the Scout. This is a new sourcebook for the Conan Adventures RPG that sees you exploring adventure on the Pictish Frontier, Again, purchasable on Modifius, and then the other release for Modifius is Dark Dealings in the Shaded Souk. S O U Q. I have no idea how to say that. This is an adventure book for the award-winning tabletop RPG Black Void. Again, that is purchasable on uh, through Drive RPG. Remember that Modifius is not currently shipping any physical products right now. However, if you do purchase these PDFs and you want to eventually purchase the hard copy once they start shipping, they will give you credit towards the purchase of the physical product if you buy the PDF. And this includes uh, the way I read it if you purchase the PDF on DriveThruRPG, you just need to contact Modifius and let them know that you have purchased it. I'd imagine they're going to ask for some proof and they will extend that discount to you. If you purchase it on their website, you won't have to do anything. Um, they'll just go ahead and give you that, let you know that you have that credit available to you when they are physically shipping books. Which I thought that was kind of a neat little way to do that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a nice way to let you double dip, get your stuff now, and still make sure you're taken care of.
0: Let's move over to Hunter's Entertainment. Uh, we haven't talked about them in, in a while because, well, there hasn't been anything to talk about. And we actually, I meant to bring this up last week, but I completely forgot and so we're bringing up this week so hunters entertainment for those of you who do know or don't know i should say are the is a studio that is currently working on werewolf the apocalypse fifth edition nothing new there's nothing written about the book there wasn't any previews or anything about this book that was released what was released though is the list of authors who are going to be working on it people like b dave walters of um well, he's worked with Wizards of the Coast and a couple other gaming companies, but he's also on uh, LA by Night, which has been insanely popular for a Vampire the Masquerade uh, live stream. There is a video that details all the uh, writers, um, and I have included that in the show notes. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to our friend Matthew Dawkins, the Gentleman Gamer, who is one of the writers on this on this project which i don't think you can ask for someone better to have on here because matthew absolutely loves the world of darkness and does a fantastic job as the line developer for onyx path with vampire the masquerade or the world of darkness at whole so i'm really excited to see that he was indeed part of this project well that's a lot of news
1: yeah nice to have some stuff out there
0: yeah so that is going to bring us to our uh, topic of the night as you know we've been talking about things inspired by or directly related to Critical Role all month. We have not talked about the show because none of us are experts on the show, and frankly, that's not what we're doing here. We are instead talking about, like I said, the content. So we've talked about the Dry campaign sourcebook. Last week, we talked about the Bloodhunter and the Gunslinger uh, classes slash subclass. And this week, we're going to be talking about the new Dungeons & Dragons sourcebook, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount*. Okay. So... Explorer's Guide to Wild No Nolan, what can you tell us about this book, just on first glance?
1: Well, and I think as we go through this too, we'll probably have to bounce back and forth because you got a physical copy and I picked it up on D and D beyond. Um, so I think maybe the first part would be, you know, we talked about Taldorai uh, source book, uh, how, you know, we were really complimentary of the art and layout. Uh, I'm imagining it probably got kind of the same feel, but can you tell it's a different company? Does it feel like the same world? How does the physical copy look?
0: so looking at the physical copy first thing to remember is this is a big book this is a, a really thick book uh it comes in at exactly 304 pages with a pull-out map in the back which is something the source sourcebook did not have was that pull-up mount map but it's something that is pretty common for D&D campaign sourcebooks so is uh, that's kind of cool to see i've always said if i ever have a room where i can just have my own space I'd have a lot of these maps framed and hung up in there. It is, of course, it's it's a Dungeons & Dragons book. It is an official Wizards of the Coast release, so you know that the quality is there. I will say there's some recycled art from other things, which I'm okay with, but then you get into some of the artwork, whereas the Source book, I think every piece of art that I saw was striking. It was just good. There's a couple of them. While it's good... It just doesn't feel like it's the same quality, for example,, um, in your book, Nolan, I'd imagine if you find the Children of Malice section, you may see this art. I don't know if you get to see all the artwork or not, but it's on page forty seven of of the actual book. This artwork just doesn't look like it fits. But I don't want to say it was hastily thrown in there because when you turn the page, you have this beautiful artwork, this really well done artwork, and it just yeah, there's there's some discrepancies there. Now, keep in mind, I'm not an artist. So even the art that I say doesn't really go with the book is way better than anything I could do. So please understand I am not insulting an artist in any way, shape, or form. It just doesn't seem to have the same quality as the rest of the book. And there's a few where you get that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I, know, I see what you're you saying.
0: See, okay, so you can see the artwork on the Electronic Edition?
1: yeah they're talking about the people of the region and it is it's almost like are you talking about the ones that almost look like disney characters yeah yeah so one art set does look like almost a a disney mulan style art and then the one below it is almost a borderline realistic rendition um and i don't know if it's yeah i don't know where they got their art or if it's done by the fans or if it was done by you know if they yeah, it's hard to say because it, it definitely the next couple pages of people in that are not
0: the same style. So, a couple technical things about this book. Lead writer on this book is Matthew Mercer. So, he clearly had a lot to do with this book. And why wouldn't he? Because this is his baby. Other writers include James Heck, who was involved in the Taldrai campaign source book, James Intercaso, and Chris Lockie. The developers for the book were Jeremy Crawford, Dan Dillon, uh, Ben Petrosor, and Kate Welch. And, of course, the managing editor is Christopher Perkins. Art director is Kate Irwin. Uh, graphic designers are Trish Yokum, Tristan Falcone. Uh, and, of course, we can go into all sorts of the other artists. There's a lot of artists involved in this. And I don't want to belittle any of them. Uh, it's just a lot of, pe- a lot of names that was involved with this book. But I do like that Matt Mercer was the lead writer in this book so you are getting Matt's work you're not getting something that Wizards of the Coast threw together and just had him uh consult on right right so chapter 1 of this book is the history of Wildmount which if you looked at the campaign source book or the Taldoride campaign source book you're going to see a lot of similarities because well it's the same world so- yeah.
1: I think it goes through the same, almost same opening, except for just a little different side of it. Uh, it talks about the calamity and then talks about more specifically wild mount after the calamity. So we get a different side of what's happening to that world. Um, you know, for the deities, finally the deities get a name that they were kind of hinting at. So I think in the last one, it was, uh, the, uh, the, the platinum dragon. Now it's Bahamut, the platinum dragon. Um, uh, so uh, you know finally getting the uh the approval to uh go nuts and use their stuff was kind of nice to see cuz we all knew the storm lord was cord and now it's cord the storm lord so
0: right right any questions you also get um well all the gods are just listed in here like the spider queen is officially Loth. yep yep so you are bringing in which gives it that full D&D cred if you will you are bringing in all the stuff that they hinted at in Taldrai but couldn't use because of copyright stuff so now it is official D&D canon which is nice and it goes into the major deities as well as the lesser idols like well all of them because <laughs> they're really yeah. just all broken out here. And,
1: and it seems like, and I, and I'm not certain, I don't know how a lot of them do the lesser idols. Um, But I feel like the lesser idols are probably closer closer to what Matt has made, Um, you know, because there are the arms of the betrayers which come up uh, the traveler is a big part of the new campaign. So, you know, kind of seeing what they do and then where they uh, fit for like uh, demonic packs and warlock packs. I really like that.
0: Yeah. Well, and it just gives you options, too.
1: Yeah. And I would say the big thing on this one here, and we'll touch on a little bit as well, was the, uh, you know, we got the the vestiges in the last book. And now we get the arms of the betrayer to know that there were these evil artifacts out there as well. Um, I think adds more to the world, too, just to show how big that conflict was.
0: Right. And that's not in chapter one, though, Correct.
1: Uh, It's a part of this here when it talks about the arms of the betrayers, it shows them, but it doesn't deep dive into it. So it just shows what they are in a kind of overview. And then there's a whole nother section dedicated to it later on.
0: Well, and I I like the fact that they're including, you know, more vestiges as well as the arms of the betrayers, you know, obviously the arms of the betrayers, isn't something because they're, they're not the, I hate using the term this way, the good magical items. These are, well, magical items that probably your evil NPC is going to have, but it doesn't mean that a PC can't get a hold of these and use them in some way.
1: Yeah, and I think we find that balance um, makes for some pretty good story. Uh, sometimes, you know, a good clash of wills uh, between a, a, an evil weapon and a good character uh, can make for some good story, some good opportunities. Um and I think that would make a real memorable character as well of all of a sudden, like you have this really horrible, horrendous mace um, that you've converted to your will. And it's like, well, I don't, you know, you can find a balance. Like it doesn't care as long as it gets to eat souls. It doesn't care if it's good souls or bad souls. It just wants souls and hell, it's fine. I don't mind slaughtering goblins for the good kind of, or good of mankind and see how it works exactly.
0: out. <laughs> yeah. So that's chapter one. Chapter one is the history as well as the pantheon of Talderai slash uh, wild Mount. You know. Also, I guess we should have clarified. Wildmount is the other continent in uh, Exandria, or Exandria. Sorry. Um, so remember that th- the two books, the Taldrai sourcebook and Wildmount, go hand in hand. But you're also going to see a lot of similarities in how they're laid out because it's still Exandria. Chapter two brings us to factions and societies. Now, this is a fairly lengthy chapter, but it really details the Dwendalian Empire as well as the Kryn Dynasty. Now, we got a chance to see the Kryn Dynasty a tiny bit because we played through that free adventure on d Beyond called Dark Star, which was a Wildmount adventure that James Heck wrote uh, that gave the players an opportunity to, to interact with the Kryn Dynasty in a way and potentially launch uh, more stories off of that. Uh, so having played a little tiny bit in Wildmount and, and messing with... um some of the stuff there. What did you think of that little adventure, Nolan?
1: You know, I thought the adventure was good. Um, It didn't lead a lot to maybe exploring the world. You know, that could have been anywhere in any game. So I didn't necessarily feel like I was in a different world necessarily. Um, But it is interesting to see kind of uh, just the small hints of maybe that political stuff going on. Um, And then the, you know, some of that was, Pretty evident. It was kind of lost, I think, on the group just because we weren't familiar with it. Um, helping that town and siding against one side was pretty obviously up, going to upset another side or another faction, and we don't necessarily know the long reaches of enemies we made on that day just by helping that town and right. not siding with you know the rules as be or whatever. So, I think that's kind of a neat thing about it. uh I don't know. I I liked it. It was good. It was a well written campaign, I think. For it had a little bit of everything. We were able to talk to people. There's some political stuff. We were able to help save the day. There was a big bad guy. We almost died. I mean, it
0: is a real oh, solid yeah. one shot. <laughs> yeah, he did almost die. Thankfully, you were there to save them all. <laughs> Good job passing your constitution check.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Lucky Dice.
0: Yeah. Uh, it does detail figures of interest for each of the factions, such as the Bright Queen, Laelus Crin for the Crin Dynasty, um, and it kind of talks about the war that the Crin Dynasty and the Dwendalian Empire are involved in. There is, of course, the, Cerebus, the Cere- Cerberus, wow, I can't say that word, the Cerberus Assembly, which is another faction, uh, the Clovis Concord, and let's see, let's see the Myriad Wow. And then, children of malice. It just goes on through all of these different p- uh, factions that Matt has created through his storytelling with um, Critical Role. Each of these talks about the goals of the factions. It talks about figures of interest within the the factions. So you really could easily, if you have a character who or a player who says, "Listen, I, you know, I'm playing a drow who is uh, part of the Kryn dynasty." You can grab the book, look to the Kryn Dynasty, see some of the important figures that this person may or may not have met or may meet soon, and understand how the Kryn Dynasty works and what some of the goals are that they're working towards. Keep in mind that the Kryn Dynasty is mostly populated with drow.
1: I think as a, a player character, too, I mean, that's that really sets you up to be like, "Oh, well, I'm from here. This is what I need to know. You know, you don't necessarily need to know all of it if you're a country bumpkin growing up and, you know, wherever, but with these books you can really narrow down of like, well, this is my hometown of, you know, Sheridan and I know everything about it, but I get out to the big city of Portland. I have no idea what's going on. But, you know, you can you could really get some backstory. You can really just hammer down and have some good knowledge to add to the table.
0: Right. And it helps too if, if you are playing so like a somebody from the Kryn dynasty and you go to a city that's within the dynasty but you've never been there before, you still have some some Ability to interact because you're part of that faction. And as long as your character in, in the storyteller, or sorry, the dungeon master takes the time to really read through those sections and understand how those factions work, it gives you a sense of knowing what's going on, even when you're not in your town. So, I mean, take for example, Nolan said, I'm from Sheridan and I go to Portland and I don't know crap. Well, if I'm from Sheridan, I'm a part of this group of people, gang, for lack of a better term, and I go out to Portland where I get immediately picked up by a member of the same gang just at a different chapter they're going to be able to help me you know learn the city a little bit faster and you kind of have that same philosophy here if you're part of the kryn dynasty and you're in this city and you need to go to this city and you still connect with somebody who's part of the kryn dynasty well there you go you get that introduction quickly yeah chapter three is the wild mount gazetteer now we saw the gazetteer in um, the Taldry campaign sourcebook. This is where it breaks down the different cities and towns and villages within Wildmount. This is a huge chapter. I think this one alone is like 100 pages.
1: Yeah, and usually these are the bigger parts. This really goes down to, again, I think we talked about last time too, population, government, uh, how, it's, how it's ran, what their supplies are. I mean, if you're from a town, figure out where you're from. Go to this area and and really just, I mean, it's going to help so much of deciding who you are and why you are, just knowing where you're from and this stuff. It really is just a huge, uh, not necessarily just world building option for the DM, but a great way for your player to to have some backstory.
0: Right. And looking at just give you an example, like the Tail Islands. Uh, so if you say your 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 players are going to Darkto, uh you know you'll you'll know as the DM that this has a population of about 1,300 people, of which the majority are human. There are some elves, dwarves, and other races as well. The island is ruled by the Plank King. Uh, the defense is numerous hidden ballista, siege weapons, and explosives, magical wards. It talks about the different types of commerce. It talks about the organizations that you know are working within the city. Then it tells you how you can arrive by land or sea. And as we all know in Exandria, airships are uh, an option for transportation. And it goes into, like I said, the government, but it really details the government. Talks about what crime is like in the city. And then it goes into the geography of the city as well as, and this is what I think is probably the most important part if you're a dungeon master or even a someone who's wanting to learn how to DM and, and play specifically in Exandria there is what they call the adventure section where they give you a couple paragraphs on ideas on how to create a a story within this city. And it details from mid-level to high-level stories, which is helpful, especially if you're just starting out. I mean, sometimes it's helpful for experienced DMs who maybe they're at their wits end and just need a writing prompt.
1: Well, and I think, you know, as you're in those low levels, I mean, it's it's very rare for you to kind of, you, you kind of stay within your starting area for the first five to six levels, I imagine, before you kind of get pulled into a bigger world. Um, so I think it, it, it's just a great section to really, I mean, if players are going to spend a couple months there, it gives you a good idea of what life is like, and you can really make that place feel pretty cool. Um And then like you said, you know, you show up at a place and there's stuff going on. You may have a little bit of name of yourself and you might draw that attention of a group of assassins or somebody you made upset in your last place that was a a high-level, you know, uh, thing. You know, maybe that high-level mob boss is really upset that you, you know, took out his smuggling ring and so sent people in the next town to kill you or something. So a great way to make the world connected. Yep.
0: Yeah, especially if you did it accidentally and all of a sudden they're trying to kill you and you don't even know why
1: yeah don't know who you made mad
0: and again this is a huge chapter right at just about 100 pages and I'm flipping through the book trying to get to the next chapter great maps by the way um they yeah. sh- something D does a good job of usually there's some really good maps in here kind of is showing you the world and there's also um encounter tables so if you wanted to like if you're playing say in in uh, the Eastl cross i i'm not a critical role watcher regularly so i don't know how to say some of these so we're just going to say easel cross so if i said that wrong critters you can tell me but there are tables that you can roll on for encounters in the easel cross for levels one through four levels five to ten levels 11 through 16 i mean nothing sucks than playing like a 14th level fighter and all of a sudden there's a pack of goblins and you're right. like what do i do with that sneeze on them so random encounters for specific levels is very helpful so let's look at chapter four which is going to take me forever to get there
1: uh chapter four is character options
0: why don't you tell us about chapter four
1: <laughs> yeah no um so with chapter four being character options uh it most of the classes or races, I guess, through most of the D&D campaigns have been added into this section um, in explaining how they are why they are in this region. Dwarves, Elves, Halflings, Humans, Aerocrochra, asamir, Dragonborn, Furbolgs, uh, Genasi, Gnomes, Goblin Cane, Glass, Half-House, Kinku, Orcs and Half-Orcs, Tabaxi, Tieflings, Tortles, and Hollow Ones. Um, right. So Now, there the is...
0: other thing, real quick, Nolan, because you mentioned so many different uh, races, you don't have to go out and buy the other books to play those races, though they're detailed here, isn't that correct?
1: Yeah, and the variations of why they are or what they are. Um, with Wildmount, you know, Dragonborn are a little bit bigger part than I think they got in Standard Fifth Edition. Um, Asamir are different. Uh, instead of being a product of an angel, you're just. A product of a couple of humans with a divine spark. So I, I think that's a neat thing on of basically saying, well, okay, that's fine. Why is a turtle here? It's completely different than what they are uh, in, you know, not, maybe not completely different, but they do have uh, different reasons for being in this world or different jobs or different factions of uh, what they are, or where they rank, um, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and again, like you said, you know the ability scores for the most part are the same across the board. There are a couple variants. Uh, you know, dragonborn. There is uh, ones kind of the meteor thicker ones, which they call uh, revenites, and then they've also got. Uh, dragonborn uh dragon blood and then they have tails and they're a little more intelligent so all of a sudden you've got this breakdown that usually you see in like elves or dwarves or whatever added over to uh dragonborns to give them kind of their own society of who runs what and how they run stuff
0: this is also the section where if you are interested in learning how to play the new dunamancer, this is where you're going to find that information
1: Uh, Yeah, so Dunamancy spells are in this area, along with uh, the Fighter Echo Knight, and then two of the major Dunamancy classes, which is Chronergy and Gravitergy. So a couple extra subclasses, so it's not just all about there. There's some extra options. I've heard uh, a lot of people really enjoying the Echo Knight, um, saying it might ravel uh, Battlemaster for one of the best, just because of what it's able to do. So.
0: Here's an example of that art that I was talking about. If you look at the, Chroner, the Chronergy Mage artwork versus the Graviturgy Mage artwork, it's just so strikingly different. And in the book, they're on facing pages, and he
1: yep, definitely two really different just, artists.
0: Yeah, and I'm fine with two different artists, but let's make the artwork as similar as possible. And I the will same say, vein. I think the Echo Knight art is really neat. So is the Halloween art, for that matter.
1: Yeah, and and again the Echo Knight art is along the more cartoony Disney
0: style. But it's it it is, but I like it a lot better than the graviturgy art. Yep. Now, cool thing about the the wizards, like when we're talking what Nolan was talking about Dunamancy, is there is those two different wizard subclasses of Chronergy Magic as well as Graviturgy. Uh Magic is working with time, graviturgy magic is working with gravity so
1: i thought that was kind of cool a couple areas that we haven't really messed with uh too much i will say that the biggest part of this section and the part that i enjoyed the most out of the whole well maybe the second part because i really like magical items and i liked the uh, arms of betrayers but the heroic chronicle section the prophecy and background section um it was a lot larger as far as like in the uh the D D beyond section um and it has a lot of those tables that we saw with, uh, like Xanathar's as far as rolling for backgrounds, rolling where you're from, uh, social status and what those statuses, uh, uh, mean based upon your background. And I, I really liked that. Uh, it's not something I've seen before. It reminded me a lot of like a vampire, uh, character creation. And I don't know if this is something that like Matt has at his tables, but I feel like this is a really big opportunity to, uh, create some of that stuff. So depending on, you know, say you are from the Dondalian empire and your background is a criminal. Well, guess what? Your social status, you have a rival in that town. Um, If you're a noble in that town, you have an ally and a rival. Now, all of a sudden you've added a couple more characters for that DM to use uh, for you against you or create into your plot line, which is something that we see a lot with vampire to help flush out the story. What's your, you know, what is it now that your are your connection web or whatever they're calling it. Yeah, but yeah,
0: you're, you're right. your a relationship map.
1: Yep. Your relationship map. And so that's what it felt like. And I really liked that. Um, it has the random things of, okay, you are from say the Grang wildlands. These are the towns that are there. This is a village, this is a city. So, you know, if you don't know anything about it, like I don't know anything about it, I might as well go to this table and be like, okay, I want to be from Grang wildlands these are the four cities that I'm most likely from let's see which one interests me or just roll a random D 100 say, cool. I'm from pale bank village and this is what I need to know. And why am I adventuring and what started this? Um, it has stuff for family, family size, depending on where you're at from the city, uh, depending on, uh, if you have a powerful, you know, family member, it has more stuff for that background, uh, you know, for your family relationship. Um, Just a lot of that stuff, Uh, the rivals and stuff like that can also be, you can go through, uh, you were this person's favorite drinking buddy and their home is always open to you and your friends. Well, that's a nice, you know, ally. So next time you come back to that village, you're like, hey, you know, I know, you know, Bartleby over here. Uh, He owes me some favors. He's my old buddy. Let's go stay with him. And now you've made the DM's life a little bit easier. Um, I don't know. even (laughs) some of that stuff, you get a high end, random enemy and it is an adult red dragon and a fateful moment that you as a DM are like, well, I'm going to have to write this in, and this is going to be epic.
0: Right. And and it's really neat. You know, you talk about that drinking buddy Bartleby that's, I mean, that's really going looking at like touchstones in vampire, the masquerade fifth edition as well. And, and of course we know Matt has played vampire and, and uh, in fact their critical role cast was credited in the, um uh the, Credit section of the Vampire 5th Edition rulebook. Uh, the other thing in this chapter that you mentioned, and, and I just wanted to kind of touch on a little bit more, is these, these tables. And one of them that I really liked was the Fateful Moments table. And, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, developing backgrounds and having session zeros and, and really working with each other as a table to kind of develop some stuff. Well, this is a great one if you're, having, if you're struggling that you can just use. And it's on a roll of a d20. I just want to read two of these that I thought were interesting. So on a roll of a one, it says your parents were murdered in front of you. Way to go, Bruce Wayne. Roll on the ally and revival identities table to determine the type of creature that killed them. You have proficiency in the stealth and survival skills. And then the next one I thought was interesting is, is on a roll of a 15. You save a pseudo dragon from being eaten by a giant spider in a dark forest. The Pseudo-Dragon now loyally follows you wherever you go, even if you rather it stay hidden. It is controlled by the DM, but totally obeys your commands as long as it's treated well. And these are just interesting moments that help define or develop a character.
1: Yeah, they have a big section on that for uh, Mysterious Secrets, so you can find... It's like uh, a warrior friend of mine died, but every so often I swear I see that friend in their old armor at the corner of my vision. You know, something like that kind of sets up uh, something that can come back to haunt you or aid you. Um, there's a prophecy section that runs off of the same thing. Um Uh, I will befriend a flying beast and ride it through the skies. Others will envy me for the bond I have with this creature. So it's one of those things of like, that's something that the DM can say, okay, I can work that in somewhere. You know, this is your prophecy. Uh, Again, some of that stuff is pretty cool that you can pick from. It's like, oh, I really like that one. I would like to have that worked into the game. Uh, So it gives the players some control of like, it's just a, a nice way of asking the DM asking, well, what do you find fun? Uh, and them's going well. I don't know. Well, you can't write for that. But here's like, well, this is your prophecy. I'm going to write it in for you. So good luck.
0: You know. So agreed. In 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 these just great tables to help you. And, and just remember, if you're going to roll in these tables, don't just roll on them to have a, okay. Well, that's my character, and then never bring it up again. Talk to your DM. Make sure that you're going over these things and saying, hey, don't forget. Um, I do have a drinking buddy in this town named Bartleby and we would be happy to stay. He'd be happy to have us. Yep. You know, work these things in because it brings more life to your character as well as to your game. And you weren't just adventurers from the get-go, so you have your own story. That's what backstories are for. So these are great ways to flesh those out. Just remember to work them into the game. Great chapter. I really like chapter four.
1: Yeah, and I, I took the most out of that one. Uh, again, it's, it's a fairly good-sized chapter. Uh, and again, as a player, I like that kind of stuff as well. Makes it easier to play in that world.
0: So chapter five is the adventures chapter. It's the adventures in Wildmount. There is a, a little warning here that says this chapter book is for DMs only. If you're planning to run through any of these adventures as a player, stop reading now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look like it's for adventures for levels one through three, just kind of a, a kicking off point uh for your wild story to help you get started, help with the theme, um, and then let you loosen the world.
0: Yep. That's exactly what it is. There's, there's a couple of adventures that are for levels one through three. And here's your introduction to Wildemount. Uh, If you're on D&D Beyond, you can play that Dark Sun adventure that we played. It's for level seven. and It is, a, you know, a nice little introduction to Wildmount. So, I, I, but, you know, we don't get that a lot in some of these source books. You don't get a lot of these. Here's some great tipping off points. So I thought that was really nice that they included that. Mm-hmm. Chapter seven is the Bestiary. We do get some new. You skipped creatures. six. Oh, I did. You're right. Let's go. It's back. magical items. Yeah. How could I forget that? Jeez. <laughs> all right, Nolan. Tell us all about it.
1: Well, I think the big thing on this one here, again, it has the vestiges, it has the betrayer stuff. Um, but the nice thing is, it does have a few random magical items, and I don't. Again, probably items that have come up in game that they created stats for and threw in there. But again, it also kind of sets the tone or feel. For maybe some of your own magical items that you could add to the game, based upon what would be relevant in this world, um, you know, one of them that jumps out is a uh, dust crusher, which looks a lot like uh, a sun sword, except for it's a mace or a war hammer, right. which is pretty cool. Um, it has some neat art with it, uh, but again, just kind of I like seeing other people's takes on magical items, so you kind of get an idea of what's what's in the world what it could be um and just so that way when you're making your own stuff you get a reference point for for power level
0: Mm -hmm. there's a magical item in this list that i can't help but think doxy would benefit from in some way and that is the amulet of the drunkard this amulet smells of old ale-stained wood. While wearing it, you can regain 44 plus 4 hit points when you drink a pint of beer, ale, mead, or wine. Once the amulet has restored hit points, it can't do so again until the next dawn. That's awesome. That's a funny magical item. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, so great magical items in here. You also have... are broken down. This is where uh, the, the betrayer pieces are broken down. So, yeah, there's more vestiges
1: that we didn't see. Um, and I again, another mm-hmm. interesting, uh, you know, some of it is like a pair of inventor's goggles, another one's a tome. One of them that was really cool was a key, and it's called the infiltrator's key. Uh, and just kind of while it's dormant, it looks like a, a weird key that works as... Uh, Thieves' tools, and you have advantage. uh You're considered proficient and have advantage on ability checks to make it with this lock. So it's almost like these are my lucky thieves' tools, or this is my lucky key, um and it's kind of neat. And then eventually, it, it the key turns into a dagger, and 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 wakens up more, and it gives you opportunity to cast some spells, and uh, just a neat take on what you know. The, when I was thinking of the vestiges, like what well, has to be a weapon or a piece of armor, and then all of a sudden, it's a it's a key. And I was like, that's that's pretty cool.
0: So holy crap, when this thing fully awakens at exalted level, this key, uh, one of the first things is as a bonus action you can touch the key to a floor, wall, or ceiling that is no more than five feet thick and cause a magical opening to appear in the surface. When you create the opening, you choose its length and width, up to ten feet for each dimension. The opening lasts until the key passes through it to the other side, at which point it disappears. If a creature is is in the opening when the doorway closes, the creature is safely shunted to the nearest unoccupied space. The key can't be used to create another opening until the next dawn. That's one of those, well, we're in a really shitty situation, guys. Boop. Go.
1: Yeah, they've got that, uh, Was it, Jarlaxle who has the uh, the portal that oh, he can hole. throw up against. The, yep, that's kind of what it reminded me of. <laughs>
0: creates a little pocket dimension he goes on hides in it (laughs) uh
1: yeah so the the storm girdle was cool the the venom shroud again uh cloaks belts uh rings uh helmets yeah just a a whole another set of stuff uh then adding in uh the artifacts of the betrayers which was the or arms of betrayers Uh, again Mm -hmm. a lot of nasty stuff most of them are sentient um most of them i think all of them are evil in variations of neutral to chaotic um and all of them are are pretty dark pretty mean uh Mm -hmm. and again like you said great great weapons of the bad guys found some of these too let's liberate them of their uh unlucky endeavors
0: yep and this could even be a you know a whole campaign where you're setting out to destroy the arms of the betrayers because it does list ways to destroy these items. Uh, some of them are pretty mm-hmm. significant, like the must be bathed in the ichor of an arch devil or demon lord, which is not going to be an easy task.
1: Yeah, definitely some high end aspirations.
0: Right. Uh, so that's things to keep in you know as a, as you're creating stories and such. If you want to mix that in, say, okay, guess what you found the blade of broken mirrors and you are tasked with destroying it. And so as you're working through it, it's a sentient weapon and suddenly it's doing its damnedest to corrupt your thief. And. Well, I
1: think it'd be one of those things of, uh, you know, you, depending on your level, you know, and it's asleep. It's just, you know, it's just needling at you and making you a little more reckless and you don't necessarily know what's yeah. going on. And then all of a sudden, like different people start showing up and seeking it out and attacking. You're like, why are people after like, you you know, you wouldn't even know what you have until the point. You know, it's um, I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: I think it'd be very cool. So chapter seven is the be What I tried to do before. <laughs> have you looked at some of the art of these? This is like pages out of scarred Lands for some of this stuff. <laughs>
1: They are some pretty epic monsters.
0: The Aeorian Nullifier or the Aeorian Absor... Okay, Aeorian anything is just gross looking.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, I think we saw the the more sabers were a lot more intense than everybody thought they were going to be.
0: Yep. And we also see Blood Hunters. So we get to see Blood Hunters as a, not only a player... Well, yeah, not only as something you can play, but as something you can fight against. So that's always helpful. A great be sherry uh, you know, wow, that frost giant zombie looks wicked,
1: yeah, we got to we ran into a couple of those, right we ran into the mm-hmm. nergolids and the
0: husks the the husk zombies, and of course there's the more bounders, which you guys had as mounts,
1: yeah, nice looking scary cats.
0: And of course that brings us finally to the glossary as well as the index. Indexes are all, I use indexes all the time now. Maybe it's the old school in me. I'm old and I like turning to the index to quickly search through a book. So I think indexes are very handy. And then the last page of the book is of course that map, which I don't know. I haven't torn mine out. It's going to stay in the book for a while. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Same.
0: So As as you look at this book, Nolan, and you kind of decide, obviously we both bought it because we wanted to talk about it here on the show. As you look at this book as you're the average player, is this a book that you would want in your D&D collection?
1: Uh, you know after again uh usually as a player you're looking for those character options uh when we looked at sword coast adventurers you know it had blade singer it had uh you know some pretty good playable classes that i really enjoyed but i after i got out of that section i didn't feel like i got a lot um this one here there's quite a bit for both sides and even just uh tying into like that Xanathar's character creation section. uh, I I thought that was really neat. I really like the idea of those heroic events. um, And then like that, you know, that creation player mapping, relationship map, style ally, um, and and then the heroic destiny and and that kind of stuff. I I think that would be a lot of fun stuff if I was going to not even just necessarily play in Wild Mount or Exandria is bring that into my game because it, again, if I ask for... If I ask for you to give me a character backstory and you come up with a, a 30 page thing, I probably am never going to meet those expectations. Um, just because you've already written that story and you already have in your mind of what you want to happen. And now I got to try and interpret your wants. Um, this here is again, like a lot of those books, it's vague enough, um, to get a good starting point, uh, a good idea, um, and, and, and some tables that will come up with that there where it's not, the player doesn't already have the story done in their head um, and you can't disappoint them. You can surprise them like, oh my God, this is my prophecy. It's happening. It's not what I thought it was going to be. This is amazing. You know, they just don't see it coming. So I, I think there's a lot to take away from that section alone and apply to every campaign I ever play going forward. Um, and then also if you're going to play in this world, I think it's a huge, huge, huge boon to add those why the races are the way they are um, and again, the locations and stuff are just well done. So yeah, definitely a purchase for me. Um, if you're playing in wild mount, then absolutely. Yes. And now, even if you're not, um, I would recommend adding some of that stuff to your, if you're a heavier RP table, not just about the combat, then I would, I would look at the, the hero chronicle section pretty heavily.
0: Right. I I look at this book in you know I don't always buy the D and D books when they come out. Sometimes I hesitate a little bit just because well I have a lot of books, but this was one of those that even had we not been talking about it here on our show I would have probably bought this book, And knowing and the reason I say that is because having looked at the Taldry campaign source book when I bought that one and just seeing the the neat just how well Matt and and James because you got to give James credit too how well they developed that book and how well written it was. And as a DM, I want to know about each of those, those cities, especially. It really helps me to say, okay, well, you guys, you've just arrived at, you know, city X and this is what it's like, but I have no idea because I didn't, you know, maybe I didn't do my homework or, or whatever, for whatever reason, or I just, off the top of my head throughout a city. Well, now I can say, okay, you guys have arrived at um, Galgorod. Galgorod is ran by this person. This is what's going on. And as they're playing in Galgorod, I can say, well, you know, I know for a fact that pickpocketing is really big in Galgorod. This happens a lot. And I can roll dice to see if maybe something that the players didn't want to lose suddenly gets pickpocketed and they get to start a whole story trying to chase down this pickpocketer, this network of thieves who has stolen something from them. So there's really neat adventure ideas just from reading about the cities, uh, the magical art or the magical items list, like simple things like that amulet of the Drunkard. Can add a lot of flavor to your game. Well, hold on, guys. I need to drink an ale before I can do anything because I got beat up in the last fight. It adds fun stuff to the game. So, for me, this is definitely a must buy book. I don't have any, re- there's no buyer's remorse for mine. This one, this is a book that I can see myself going to a few times, especially with character creation. Even if I'm doing my own, you know, world creation, this is a great. Idea generator. I can pull from this book and draw influence from it to help me create other things, or just to sit down with players. I mean, use the tables for anything. You don't have to play in Wild Mount to use those those tables. Uh, they're they're great. Uh, this with Xanathars, holy crap! You can create some amazing characters just by rolling a couple dice. So yeah, yep. I think yep, it's a must buy. Agreed. Well, that is it for this week. That was our topic of the night, of course. And the next week, we're just going to kind of wrap up on what we've talked about for the month and just give you some of our final thoughts on the stuff that has been created or influenced by Critical Role. Um... Next month, we are going to be diving into some smaller games from Onyx Path. We'll be looking at They Came From Beneath the Sea, as well as possibly even looking at that Dystopia Rising, because I think the idea of Mad Max meets The Walking Dead has piqued both of our interest, and we'd kind of like to learn a little bit more about it, so why not share it with you? Yep. So, Nolan, we've reached that point of the show, unless you have something else that you want to add, where we tell people how they can reach us.
1: Uh, Nothing to add, and if you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter at NLemiers
0: course i'm patrick and you can find me at just about all the social medias at 307 rpg we do keep you know pretty regular on twitter with our contest that's going to run till the end of this week so if you want to enter that make sure you do so again great opportunity to get some cool stuff remember that if you want to support our show you can do so by clicking that drive through rpg link at the top of our page and making a purchase at DriveThruRPG, you get great RPG products and we get a tiny little kickback from you doing that. The other thing you can do if you want to help us out is leave a review on whatever podcast uh, site that you're using to listen to us. Leave a review on there just to let people know what you think of our show and be good or bad. Either way, let people know what you think and it helps us kind of sort through some of the noise, if you will. Other than that, that is our show for this week. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye.